0: I had a conversation with a dear friend who had come in, and I knew her story. She is in the process of letting go of her aunt, a woman who raised her, and who is currently letting go of life. Uh, She is battling a form of cancer that she will not win the fight. And I asked my friend, how are you doing And how does Easter morning sit with you when you are so close to wanting resurrection for somebody so dear? And she spoke out of the wisdom of her moment. She said, this is what we do. We inhabit the angst that is both She said, even this morning, as I think about resurrection and I think about letting my aunt go and the death that she is facing, I trust that there is still resurrection for her, that there's resurrection for me. And so I will hold on to both. And I celebrate that this morning because God has given me the perspective to hold on to both. And so I'm just going to pray for us this morning because I think Mother's Day is one of those days. It is a both and day. So I'm going to ask Holy Spirit to come and just open up this space for us this morning as we embrace both. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence here this morning. We acknowledge the goodness of the comforter, the spirit that stirs inside of us new life, that challenges us, and that calls us into a place that is a liminal space. It is a space that is in between. That it is in between the strong feelings that we hold, the grief that we hold, the hope that we hold, the faith that we desire to inhabit and don't always, the love and the trust that sometimes seem out of reach, and the overwhelming goodness of you. So here this morning, we ask that you would open up this space, that you would speak to our hearts, that our minds would be challenged, that we would be encouraged by your word to us this morning, and that as we are here together, that we would be encouraged by one another, that this is not an individual endeavor, but we come and we bring what we are and what we have going on. We meet you, and you are here in our midst, and you are a miracle worker. You have created this space. You have opened this up for us. And so we gladly step in, in Jesus' name, amen. So Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day, and not an easy day for all of us. I was thinking a lot about this this last week um, as I was pulling together my sermon, and uh, I thought about um, all of the Mother's Days that I celebrated, um, so excited to love on my mom, um, a good mom who is not here this morning and texted me first thing this morning to tell me that she was really sorry. She couldn't be here, but she was um, praying for my sermon, and that text woke me up. So I was like, oh, she got a head start on that praying. Um, But I always, it was always a little bit of an in-between for me, um, partly because, for those of you who know my story a little bit, um, I was 35 before I met the guy that I wanted to spend my life with. And I remember having a conversation um, that same year before I met Bert with my brother who had started a family in his early 20s. And um, my brother made a comment that was sort of offhanded about me being a mom one day, um, which is very much the culture of our family. And I turned in and contradicted him. said, I don't know if I'm going to be a mom. And he said, oh, no, no, you'll be a mom for sure. I was like, I'm 35 and I haven't to date, uh, found a partner that I want to be a mom with, so I'm not sure I'm going to. And he was like, I, I don't know what to say to that. Um, partly because the culture that we were raised in didn't have anything to say to that, and so we didn't have language, and I was only just learning that language, which was why I had said something to him, is because I was working on understanding that language. Um, But as somebody who had attended on Sundays and been to a lot of Mother's Day services, I often found that I was one of the ones who sat with those who were like me and weren't sure. Um, I did meet somebody that I wanted to partner with, and when I met that person um, and heard his story, um, found out that... Mother's Day was going to be more nuanced uh, still because his mom had passed away before I'd ever met him. And so I would not have the opportunity to know uh, the woman who would have been my mother-in-law. We didn't know about having kids because we were in our late 30s. And then our son Samuel came along, and he was a gift and a blessing. Um, And my first Sunday back after having Samuel, was Mother's Day. And I will be absolutely honest and say it was mostly a blur, and I was utterly exhausted. (laughs) And I remember just kind of like, my body felt unfamiliar, and I was carrying this really little person. I was like, oh, all of a sudden my church seems really big, and there are a lot of people. I'm not sure how I feel about this, and there were a lot of big feelings. Um, And then we experienced two miscarriages and mother's day became nuanced even more and it was in this church that i grieved out loud during a worship service on a sunday morning and embraced that grief in community recognizing man oh man this is there's no making this go away this is hard and it's hard to explain it's hard to explain to your community Um, Because you have to get into stuff that we don't want to talk about so much. It's hard. I didn't want to talk about it. It's hard to share it with a partner who didn't have any sort of tangible expression except a test that said there's a second pink bar, right? And we waited and waited and discovered something called secondary infertility and found out that we would not be having more children biologically and thought, well, okay, but it seems like there's a little bit more room and it seems like we've got, you know, like a little bit more on our heart and so maybe we, maybe we see about fostering and adopting, maybe we see about other ways that we could open our home and fast forward we got a call on a Tuesday out of the blue from an agency that we hadn't spoken to in six or seven months, and it was the middle of COVID, and they said, hey, um, there's a little girl. She was born on Thursday. Her mom has picked to your family. She thinks you're the best fit. You're going to need to pick her up. She's going to be ready to come home on Friday. And I stood here with the small group that I had told that week, I think I'm done. I don't think I can do this anymore. And I stood here and held my baby girl as my small group celebrated with me the joy and the heartache. Because the heartache doesn't go away. So this is, I'm sharing very personally this morning, I know. But this is what we carry into Mother's Day. We carry all of this. And the men and women that are here with us this morning all carry. Because we have mothers, we have partners, we have sisters. And so... This is where we find ourselves this morning. As Mother's Day came in the middle of the paradox series, we thought, well, let's look at the paradox of giving and receiving. How we embrace both to do both. That to do both well, we have to embrace both that we need to be good at giving and good at receiving in order to do both of those things well. And very often, we do them simultaneously. We thought, oh yeah, mothers are a really good example of giving and receiving. And then I thought, oh man. Like, there's a litany of the giving and receiving and the rhythm of giving and receiving when it comes to any one individual's story. But then I thought, what about the mother heart of God? Now, I'm going to be honest. This is new for me and slightly uncomfortable territory. I was not raised in a tradition that was comfortable talking about the mother heart of God or the feminine traits of God. And so I'm going to be honest and say, one, I did a little bit of extra when it came to my research, and some of that I'm going to put up on the board. But also, I, I'm i going to ask you to wade into this with me, um, to not uh, think that I have this figured out and I'm totally comfortable with it. If you are not totally comfortable with it, I think that's okay. The children's book that John read this morning actually covers the biblical verses that describe the mother traits of God. And so I'm going to dig into um, some of the scripture this morning, um, but I'm also going to take a look at what it is that is important about understanding how the spectrum of our relationship to God needs to be something that we are able to embrace as a community because we cannot fully learn from one another as we as individuals represent the fullness of God. Now, I'm going to premise this and this is like the professor part of me coming out a little bit. I'm going to pre- I'm going to premise this by saying that in English classes, we often talk about the difference between gender and sexuality. I won't get into all of that this morning, but the gist is that gender is a performance and can be altered from one culture to another, from one age to another. That there are times when you can see, even in our current age, um, for any of you who've traveled to the Middle East, men, wear long flowing robes, they're not called dresses, but they are long flowing robes, and they hold hands with one another with their fingers intertwined. That that's very common, it's accepted, and it's a part of the the demonstration of masculinity in that culture. That has to do with gender representation. We do a similar thing in our culture based on hair, uh, clothing, And what we know from our friends who are trans or who are gender fluid is that those two sort of what have been called opposites of gender actually have like a whole spectrum of how you see yourself and engage with culture. That's a little bit different than sexuality. Okay, so again, we're not going to get into all of this, but I think it's important that part of what we're talking about are traits that are identified by an ancient culture as being more masculine traits or more feminine traits. So I want to be careful that we do identify that this is not necessarily what we understand in our culture as the spectrum of traits that we would ascribe to a person who identifies as a woman or a person who identifies as a man or the spectrum that falls between those two. Okay? All right. Scripture often identifies traits through naming. So we have names and traits are ascribed to naming. God is all. Entirely other and as other is referred to as holy, set apart. In culture, we like to create God in our image. So when you go right back to Genesis and you identify that we are created in the image of God, we are created male and female in the image of God both representing the full spectrum of the person of God. And then we also see, particularly in ancient culture, the deification of feminine and masculine, often in a very hyper sort of way. And if you look at any of the sort of ancient Mesopotamian gods, both the men and the women seem anatomically extreme, to say the least. Individuals created in our image, deities created in our image. God is not created in our image. We are created in God's image. And as individuals, we each, wherever we locate ourselves in our representation, we each represent God. So, what does that look like when most of what we see in scripture is a reference to God as Father? A reference to God as He. Um, I will say honestly that for the most part, when I was growing up, um, I didn't struggle with it that much. Um, I grew up in a culture that was pretty authoritarian. Um, and if my dad were sitting here, he'd be nodding. You know, yeah, yeah. The guys led, right? The women loved and served the guys that led. And if you were going into ministry, you were mostly marrying somebody who was in full-time ministry and supporting that ministry. Um, my mom teamed with my dad in their ministry together for 40-plus years, and that meant she counseled alongside him. She did work alongside him. She was a helpmeet in all kinds of ways, and we honored that in our family. From a young age... I identified that I had some kind of gift that had to do with teaching and speaking to people. And it was super awkward to try to figure out what do I do with that when I'm supposed to be the quieter version of the two. And I always thought in terms of two. I always thought in terms of being married to somebody. And then that didn't happen. And I was in my 20s. I'm like, well, I mean, how long do I just kind of hang out waiting to do what I thought I was called to do? And that's when I started to really feel a nudge from the spirit of God saying, hey, you got to go and just do the thing. So I did. Um, I had the opportunity to travel, to serve in a number of different locations. Um, And as I increasingly engaged um, what I felt that God had called me to do, I thought, okay, um, I think I'm going to have to press into these gifts that don't seem particularly feminine, At which point, God was like, hey, are these for me or not? I was like, oh, well, this is uncomfortable. I don't know what to do with that. (sighs) Yes, yes, they are. They are from you. Um, Interestingly, I started at that same time, so this was my mid-20s, to memorize scripture. And one scripture that I felt particularly led to that kept coming up was Psalm 131. And so I started memorizing it. It's a short one. <laughs> I thought, let's go with a short one. But it also kept coming up a lot. Um, and it starts out, my, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things that are too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul. And I thought, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of anxiety around who I was going to be and what I was going to do, and I would come back to that again and again and again. God was building into me identity that came out of the person of God. It's where our identity is found. And for too long, I had relied on the words and the pronouns to identify God as having traits that I may or may not have access to because I was or was not masculine. And when I started to actually just press into the thing that God had called me to, I kept finding that, oh no, like I am, I'm good at sitting with people and the Holy Spirit is the comforter So if I'm sitting with somebody and wanting to minister to them, am I not asking the Holy Spirit to come and be the comforter through me? Okay, yeah. So again and again and again, I came back to, wait a minute, but these are traits of God. I was nervous about actually looking up. I had a friend. I spoke to her this last week. Um, I have a friend, she's a theologian in the UK, she's my parents' age, uh, she was in ministry with them for a very long time, and uh, she used to talk to me, She's doing a Bible degree at the time that I was kind of going through all of this identity searching, and she'd give me her essays on what if God was she, and I'd be like, oh Jane, I don't think I can read that. She's like, it's full of Bible verses, it's okay, I'm like, okay. <laughs> And then I'd tuck him into a drawer somewhere and be like, I I don't know, I don't know. But then I started to see that as I walked in obedience to God, God formed in me more of who God was. And I quit worrying so much about whether it was masculine or feminine. Then, as I quit worrying about it, I started to recognize that there were a number of things that I did quite naturally that seemed to be an expression of the person of God, Yahweh. Yahweh is the ancient Jewish term for God. Yahweh is I am that I am. Yahweh is the God who met with Moses in the burning bush, who was represented to the children of Israel in the desert as a pillar of fire and of smoke. As I sought to receive identity, it was in the giving that I kept seeing the expression of a God that was forming in me God's very person, and it only enhanced who I was. And in that, I thought, wait a second. Have I placed something on God that I don't need to place, a restriction that says God is only this? So looking at the Old Testament, we see a God who is like a father. And this is where I dug in a little bit and um, was reading about a lot of the distinction that was made in the speaking of God's name. And God has a lot of names. One of the things that is significant about God's names, particularly Yahweh, I am that I am, is that that runs in direct uh, counter to the culture of the day that said Baal is king of all of the gods. Baal is the god who is the king of the gods, and he rules. And so it was not Baal is god, it was Baal is a part of this pantheon of gods. So for Yahweh to say, I am, that I am, was a distinction that flew in the face of the idea that the gods of the area that the Jewish community was moving through and moving into were gods who were pantheon, they were pantheon gods, representing masculine and feminine The given name of God in the Bible, this is from Jane Upchurch, a British theologian. The given name of God in the Bible, Yahweh, is a combination of both female and male grammatical endings. Yah is feminine, way is masculine. So Yahweh embodies both. Yahweh means the one who is or I am, not Lord, which is what Baal means. So often translated, the following translated following the Jewish tradition that the name of God is too sacred to be spoken. So very often, instead, the traits of God are spoken about. Of the many other names of God in the Old Testament, El Shaddai is interesting as Shad means female breast. So El Shaddai is the God who nourishes and provides. So God, as represented of God's self, is the God who is God, who is. Not over other gods, but just God. Holy other, whose image we are made in, who informs our image Scripture is full of then the breakdown of God's names. God who comforts the people like a mother comforts her child. Isaiah 66:13. Like a woman would never forget her nursing child, God will not forget God's children. Isaiah 49:15. God is like a mother eagle hovering over her young. Deuteronomy 32:11. God seeks the lost like a housekeeper trying to find her lost coin, Luke 15, 8 through 10. God, share, God cares for God's people like a midwife that cares for the child she just delivered, Psalm 22. God experiences the fury of a mother, bear robbed of her cubs, Hosea 11:8. Jesus longed for the people of Jerusalem like a mother hen longs to gather her chicks under her wings. Luke thirteen thirty four. As I sought to live into the identity that God had given me, I was praying one afternoon and I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit. What does scripture say? And I had been contemplating the Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I've stilled and quieted my soul. And right there, the Holy Spirit said, how does the rest of the psalm go? I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. And right there, I recognized that God so very tenderly was working in me an understanding of God's identity that I was made in the image of God and that all that is in me to give, that tension of receiving identity from God and giving, I can only ever give out of what I have received And I needed to come to an understanding of having received my full and whole identity from God. What I would like to encourage us this morning in is we have a broad range. I've shared much of my story this morning, but we have a broad range of experience and story and wisdom in this room May we be able to receive our whole identity from God. And out of that whole identity, may we be able to give to one another, to our families, to the community around us, all that we have received from all that God is. Amen.